Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Calling Tau City. Turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm rooting, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. I'm pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 529. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. We've come out of The Beast from the East, number two. Oh, that mixed with a blizzard of night shifts that I've got on. And I've just got up now. It is now 11 o'clock on a Tuesday morning. I honestly, I don't know if I'm batting or balling here. I don't know which way is up and down and which way is night and day. Man, I'm all over the... Honestly, I'm all over the place. I hate night shift. Normally... We do, you know, it's like some folks just work, you know, constant and I'm not like that. You know what I mean? No, 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 no. Normally it's two early shifts, two afternoon shifts and then two night shifts. Well, this time, and I keep, you know, harping on my wife. I've done eight eight days, eight days. I've done two earlies, two backs and four nights. And, oh, just I'm all over. I need to go apart, eh, man? That's what it is. Hey, honestly, we have got some... Oh, I'm just so excited. I'm going to play you the opening title of the story just now because it is so good, just the opening title. A little song, a little dance, a little apocalypse, down your pants. <laughs> that's the that's the title of the, the, the fiction coming up today. I hope I just grabbed you because, honestly, as soon as I seen who was writing the story and who had it, I was like, oh, man... Can you remember a while ago we played a story called In a Green Dress Surrounded by Exploding Clowns? (laughs) Remember that story? It was by a writer called Robert Jezenek. 
or Jeshinek, I think it's Jeshinek. And it was the first time I'd come across Robert's work. And just, man, it, that story, we've had loads of comments about that story. It's been one of the most popular on the Starship Sofa, period. Do you know what I mean? And then I, I kind of turned, I rocked up the, I rocked up the day to the mic and see we had another one by Robert and my heart skipped a beat it's just like oh man 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 just perfect but that title a little song a little dance a little apocalypse down your pants you just know man you just know it's going to be fantastic before all that let us get into where we are with Perion. as you know our march continues the mighty tread of the starships over to get the show or get the Patreon number 500. Last week we were at 403. This week we are 405. We've had a couple of, I think, a couple of deletes and swap arounds, and we've had more people kind of sign in. So that's more people to say hello to than what you think from last week, from the 403. But honestly, when I do this, honestly, my heart goes out because. Listen, I honestly just sit in the living room here. I've got the three dogs behind us, and I've done this for, you know, coming up now, God knows how long, 11 years, 12 years there now. Just, and you don't really get to know anyone. Do you know what I mean? This is the kind of one step. I get some emails, but even them now, you know, it's just, that's life. You know, you don't get that many emails. We've all moved on. It's kind of Facebook and everything like this. This just, like, I can say hello, and I can say thank you, and I can say it on the air. And... It's just our little community is getting bigger and bigger and just stronger and stronger. And it's it's not for the one of me trying to butcher the names because I've got a, This week, I've got a bit of a kind of a game on here. I'm there. Oh, one second. I'm going to pull them up and just say. So I want to say a big, big thank you. Andrew Bogart. Andrew, what can I say? I hope I've got that right as well. Andrew, honestly, big, big thank you. Thank you so much indeed. John Schatzman. Is that right, John? John, I hope that is, lad. <laughs> honestly, huge thank you. Huge indeed. And a big thank you to C.M. Lubinsky. Now, I'm sure I'm, I'm, sure I'm right with that, C.M. Big thank you, C.M. Lubinsky. And we have... Aisha Wall. Aisha, what can I say? Thank you so much indeed. So much indeed. Truly is kind of fantastic that he's kind of doing this. It really is. And this is the one. Robert Yog. I think yours has got us. He had to be quite honest. Just before we... Bob's been with us for, from kind of years ago on Starship Sofa and is supported for probably the best part of like, well, I would say forever, Bob, since we've kind of been around. And I... <laughs> Robert, is it Beigler? Bob, is that... How, come on, tell us. How, email us and tell us that. B-I-E-G-L-E-R. Come on, how, how, do, we, how do we say that? Beigler. Mike, it could be. Anyway. Bob, tell us where it comes from as well. That would be fantastic. So, honestly, listen, everyone, please, thank you so much for, for doing this, for kind of helping and supporting. It just means great. And it, it honestly is nice for me just to say hello to you. Do you know what I mean? So, I'm just here by myself. Do you know what I mean? Just, there's nobody else. So come and say hello to us and support. We're on Starship Sova and I'll read your name out and butcher it in the fine tradition of Starship Sova. So I'll tell you what's coming in today's show then. We have that fantastic story. A little song, a little dance, a little apocalypse down your pint, pants, pints by Robert Jesenek. Originally published in Galaxy Magazine. Then we have... Our very own 
Amy H. Sturgis. Sturgis. With looking back at genre history. Ames. Yes, we've got all that to come to as well. So, like I said, stop this clapping, man. I'm getting in this bloody habit of clapping away there. The main fiction will play straight away. A little song, a little dance, a little apocalypse down your pants by Robert Jesenek. Originally published, like I said, in Galaxy Magazine. Robert Jesenek is an award-winning author whose fiction, comics, essays and non-fiction have been published around the world. His stories have appeared in Galaxy Edge, Escape Pod, Fiction River. He has written for Doctor Who and Star Trek Fiction and Batman and Justice Society Comics for DC Comics. His young adult stream novel, My Favourite Band Does Not Exist, won the Forward National Literature Award and was named one of Booklist's top ten first novels for youth. He has also won an International Book Award, a Scribe Award for Best Original Fiction and the Grand Prize in Pocketbook's Strange New Worlds Contest. Hugo and Nebula Award winner Mike Resnick calls him a towering talent. Never mind Mike Resnick. What is he? No, listen, I'm telling you. Tony C. Smith telling you this. Robert Jesnick is just fantastic, man. It's just got... You know, and it's just... They're there, man, and I've got something different and the quirkiness and the cleverness of it and it just works on every front, Robert's stories. This story as well is just narrated by Karen Bovenmeyer. Karen Bovenmeyer earned her MFA in creative writing, popular fiction from the University of Southern Maine in 2011. She has published approximately 25 poems, short stories and novellas and has a novel coming out next year. She teaches and mentors students in Iowa State University and serves as the non-fiction assistant editor of Escape Artist Mothership Zeta magazine. Karen's narrations can be heard on Strange Horizons, Starship Sova, Gallery of Curiosities and Pseudopod Podcast. You can find her online at KarenBovenmeyer.com. Karen nails this story. As you can tell from I had to play it, you know, the opening title already. Just nails it so well. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A little song, a little dance, a little apocalypse down your pants. By Robert Jeshenik. Narrated by Karen Bovenmeyer. I come back from the dead suddenly, the way I always do, with a great heaving gasp as air and light and consciousness rush into me all at once. Easy now, Jody Lee. Binky the bringback bot says the same thing every time he resurrects me. The same damn thing. Slow, even breaths, dear. In through the nose, out through the mouth. Meanwhile, I'm twisting and flopping around naked in what I call the Humpty Dumptonator, a rectangular glass box half full of slimy blue goo and squirming anti-maggots. They give life instead of feeding on it. No matter how many times I've been through this, and believe me, there have been thousands I still wake up with the same shock and nausea, spazzing out like this is my first freaking life restoration. While at the same time, I know I've got to get over it fast, as Binky reminds me. Snap out of it, honey. The silver-skinned bastard jabs my left bicep with a hypo needle in the tip of his index finger, shooting me full of something that takes the edge off. Remember... You've got another show tonight. He shoots me with a pale green light from his right eye, which is also soothing. You have to die again in three hours if you want to get paid. Once I get cleaned up, I go for a walk, trying to blow the stink off. My long black hair is tied in a ponytail, and I'm wearing a selfie suit which looks like whatever I want, depending on who's looking. A hot guy might see me in a little red dress. A not-so-hottie might see me in overalls. And I, myself, just see a casual black pantsuit. Oh, I can't hold back a yawn as I walk through Tesseractus Prime, because it's just another pan-galactic mega-casino in just another multi-dimensional hotel-cathedral singularity. It's the same old thing, the same old crowd, in the same old place. And by that, I mean it's a Looney Tune wonderland to the zillionth power. A unicorn centaur in a diaper gallops past, fleeing a flock of mocking blackbirds trying to bomb his horn with poop. A guy with an accordion-shaped body bounces by, burping filthy limericks every time his midsection crumples. A priest? A rabbi and Hitler walk into the nearest bar saying something about buying a dog a drink. And then they all turn into poodles. Welcome to humanity.
circa 100,000 A.D., when science that might well as be magic makes all things possible. Everyone can be as wacky as they want to be in every imaginable way. The universe is one big joke. But nobody's laughing anymore. And that's where I come in. I have never been more miserable in my life. Standing on stage in the massive theater at the Hotel Casino Cathedral, I gaze out at the crowd arrayed before me. It's a panoply of every silly, crazy, bizarre, surreal, and just plain insane character you can imagine. And everyone's laughing their heads off. Some, literally, if the heads aren't attached very well. I mean it. I wish I were dead. For a long moment, the roar of laughter and applause drowns me out. I stand there and let it flow around me, watching as the horde of ridiculous figures howls in hilarity. A glowing purple clown in the front row blasts a bicycle horn and stomps his huge red shoes, which are also laughing. Beside him, a gorilla in a pinstripe suit hops up and down, making with the monkey shrieks and whipping banana peels and poo at the stage. In other words, I'm killing. Again. Because I'm the best. I know what makes him laugh. When the roaring dies down, I start talking again. Seriously, I am at the end of my rope. That gets a few titters from the crowd. The more you people laugh, the more I long for oblivion. Cue a slew of scattered guffaws. Then a thing that looks like a giant pretzel, with eyes instead of grains of salt, zips up to the stage and flies around me a dozen times, laughing like a maniac. The audience follows suit with a roar that sounds ten times louder than before. Enough of this mortal coil! The spotlight follows me as I stomp across the stage toward a long table covered by a red velvet shroud. It is time to end my suffering. Everyone cheers and claps and howls with laughter as I pull the shroud from the table, revealing a selection of swords and knives. People shout out suggestions. Some even teleport up beside me to point at the weapon of their choice. I shoo them all away and pick the samurai sword. This is the end for me. I kneel on the stage and hold the sword out away from me, pointing the tip at my belly. I go now to the big comedy show in the sky. Hands shaking, I falter and the crowd urges me on. I continue to hesitate, building suspense. It's all part of the act. I have the courage to do it at last, I nod forcefully. Death, I feared not thy sting. Then, before I can slide the sword through my stomach, there's a deafening boom from somewhere off stage. A cannonball blows through my midriff from side to side, cutting a swath where the sword was supposed to cut. The top half of my body plops down to close the gap. For a moment, 
As the crowd gives me a standing ovation, I kneel there, my top and bottom halves disconnected, but adjacent. Then the top half drops over backwards, and the darkness of death swirls over me. I feel my mind sliding into the abyss, like leftovers sliding from a plate into a trash receptacle. And then I'm gone into the great and fathomless unknown, just like I am every time I do this. Two shows a day, six days a week, fifty-two weeks a year. Three and a half hours later, I'm staring at a bowl of thin broth in one of the one hundred thousand and one ever-changing restaurants in Tesseractus Prime. The broth keeps telling me to eat it, literally. It's a conscious cuisine with a mind of its own. But I can't force it down. Binky, the bring-back bot, put me back together just fine after the cannonball but my stomach still remembers being blown apart just a little too well. Excuse me? Just then, a horse's ass, an actual horse's ass minus the horse, clops over to my table. Have you seen a setup come this way? I seem to have lost mine. Great. Just what I need. Another lost punchline looking for the rest of his joke. I can't help you, buddy. I stir my bowl of broth as if I'm actually going to eat it. The broth gets all worked up and starts to yap. Oh, yes. Oh, please. Put me inside you, dear, famous Joe Jawdropper. Eat me up right now, you vixen. The tail on the horse's ass switches excitedly. I can see there's an eyeball staring back at me from its bunghole. Oh, my God! I can't believe this! I'm talking to Joe Jawdropper! I never thought I could hate my stage name any more than I already do, but hearing it spoken in the squeaky whine of a horse's ass really does the trick. Check, please! No check yet, screams the broth. You gotta slurp me up first! Just that I'm starting to freak out a little, someone clears his throat behind me. Get lost, ass. His voice is as deep as the croak of a down-dirty drunk just before he turns himself sober so he can start drinking all over again. Amscray! Turning, I'm surprised for two reasons. One, he's shorter than I imagined because of that voice, all of five foot five. And two, I recognize him, from his black leather jacket to his bald head to his bushy red mustache. I used to work with him, back in the day. Now get! He stomps over and gives one of the horse's ass butt cheeks a powerful slap. Don't make me kick you! Kiss my you-know-what! Snaps the ass, and then he clomps off through the restaurant. What an ass, says the guy. Probably doesn't know himself from a hole in the ground. Well, well, I smile and hold out my hand. If it isn't, the stash. The stash, that's his stage name, never told me his real name. Gives my hand a hearty shake. Long time no smell, Jojo, my dear. 
Thanks for the save, I tell him. I guess that makes you my hero. Impulsively, I pull him into a big, grateful hug. It's been such a lousy day. Meanwhile, the broth keeps yapping. Slurp me up! Put me inside you! Lick my bowl clean! Shut up! snaps the stash. Or else? Or else what? asks the broth. You know the one about the fly and the soup? says the stash. Well, I'm going to show you the one about the soup that flies. Across the room. With that, the broth finally shuts up. The stash and I catch up while taking a late-night stroll on Schrodinger's catwalk, a promenade that might or might not occupy infinite locations and realities at any given moment. Fountains of rainbow light cascade all around us, casting colorful glows on our faces. Within the light, I glimpse an ever-changing parade of images, flickering movies of people and events from all eras and alternate worlds. For an instant, I think I catch a glimpse of the stash and me in the old days, working the comedy circuit together, but then it's gone, or maybe it was never there at all. I was out of the biz for a while says the stash. Did you know that? You quit showbiz? For real? He grins, flashing gold incisors through his overabundant mustache. For ten years real, Double J. What was it like? Not being on the road all the time, you mean? Not struggling to squeeze laughs out of a bunch of humorless fruitcakes every day of my pathetic life? The stash looks ahead of us and chuckles. Why don't we ask him? Ask me what? It's an alternate version of the stash with zebra stripes and elephant ears loping towards us. One of the side effects of Schrodinger's catwalk. You never know when you're going to cross paths with another you from a parallel universe. Hey, did I miss showbiz when I give it up for ten years? Says the stash I came in with. You give it up for ten years? Other stash punches original stash in the shoulder on his way past. What a maroon! Original stash laughs and jerks a thumb at his doppelganger as he walks off and vanishes. That guy is such a prick, isn't he? You're back in the game, aren't you? I ask him. That's why you're here, right? You're doing stand-up again. Maybe I'm just here to see you says the stash. So, what made you do it? What made you want to get back on stage after ten years away? Cause I'm gonna be the greatest comic who ever lived, says the stash. And I'm gonna make it happen in a one-night-only performance tomorrow night. He smiles and takes my hand. You want in, Jojo? For old times' sake? Sure. I say it with a smirk, waiting for the punchline. How could I possibly say no? The stash stops walking and faces me. Dead serious here, partner. And this ain't a bit. Is that so? Notice, I haven't stopped smirking. 
So how do you propose becoming the greatest ever in just one night? I've done it before, haven't I? The stash winks and squeezes my hand. Ten years off the circuit is like a hundred years in comedian time. I pull my hand free and shake my head. You're going to have to sell your soul to Maxwell's demon just to make a comeback, let alone become the greatest. Kiss my brain. The stash laughs and jabs a finger between his eyes. Huh? Kiss it. The stash keeps jabbing. Cause it knows, darling Jojo. It has a plan that will set the worlds on fire. Just then, someone taps me on the shoulder. Turning, I see an alternate me made of rippling green palm fronds. It hurts to look at her flashing gold bouffant hairdo, and she's chewing some kind of squealing gum or bite-sized creature. I can't see which. He's right, honey mustard, says palm frond me. Big Daddy there's got the goods. Hear that? The stash unveils his broadest grin yet. If you can't trust your salad-based alternate self, who can you trust? I could say, I don't want anything to do with delusional Dudley Doofus here. But that would be a bald-ass lie. Truth is, he's got me curious. Anything to break the boredom of my daily lives and deaths. Not to mention, he and I used to be a thing once upon. Maybe that's in the back of my mind a little, too. Also, other places, like ten feet away, where alt versions of me and the stash just appeared in flagrante delectico. In the middle of the act, in other words, and I don't mean comedy. So what does my stash do? Gives him a standing O, of course. Yeah! Woo! Bravo! He whistles and claps for all he's worth. It's been so long since I did what they're doing, I applaud too. My alt self, who's on top, laughs and shoots me a big thumbs up. Good thing I'm not the type who might get a funny idea from seeing something like that. So let's just say I get a funny idea after all and the rest is history. And by history, I mean super nasty sex. So sue me. It's the first time in I don't know how long, literally, that I've done anything other than eat, sleep, kill myself, or rise from the dead. Breaking out of a rut is a good thing. Or is that rutting till you break? Don't bother me about guilt and regret. This isn't our first time at the rodeo. Forget about illusions, too. Not that all the mystery is gone. There's still a burning question hanging over us. Got any coffee? Not that one, though it's the first thing I ask him in the morning. So, what's this plan of yours? That's the one. You mean the plan where I ravish you, says the stash as he tickles my tummy. Check and double check. Did I just giggle? I never giggle. The other plan... You mean the one with fifty porcupines, the nudist camp, and the case of bubblegum? Did I just giggle again? The one about becoming the greatest comic who ever lived. Oh, that one. The stash rolls over and kisses me. 
It's a secret. A secret? But who knows? The stash shrugs. Maybe we can scare up an exclusive preview if you can pencil me in this morning. Hey, wait! I laugh as he makes a grab for me. What are you doing? Sorry, he doesn't stop. I thought we meant pencil me in. I know, right? The stash gives my shoulders a squeeze. Kind of small, isn't it? Yeah. I'm standing on the field of Hypercube Center, the biggest sports stadium in all of Tesseractus Prime. It's breathtakingly vast, stretching off for miles in all directions. A real, intimate venue. My thoughts exactly. The stash gives me a peck on the cheek and undrapes his arm from my shoulders. He walks a few steps away and lets loose a loud whoop that echoes through the stadium. I want everyone to feel like I'm close enough to reach out and touch. Then, mission accomplished, part of me keeps thinking he's pulling my leg, even after I saw his name on the marquee out in front of the place. How he got booked in a venue this big after so long away from the biz beats the hell out of me. I'll be a hot ticket with so few seats to fill, says the stash. What are we looking at? Five thousand max? If that, I say, though of course we both know it's more like five million. Guaranteed sellout, I'd say. No need to beef up this bill, the stash grins though I might make room for you if you need the work. Let me think about it. I can always use an opening act, he shrugs. I'm just saying. Very generous of you. Thanks loads. Fair warning, though. This'll be old school all the way. The stash turns and gazes across the miles-long field. Just a spotlight, a glass of water, and a microphone. He spreads his arms wide and looks up to the distant heights. Plus a ginormous mother-loving communications array beaming to the fringes of the known freaking universe in every possible signal and frequency. Shading my eyes against the glare of the stadium lights, I can just make it out. A spindly silver grid hovering high above punctuated with upturned discs and spiny antenna. How I completely missed it until now, I don't know. Maybe it's got one of those inexhaustible apathy filters that dims external stimuli to the brain based on natural human aversions to getting involved. Whatever the reason, one thing's clear. That thing's huge. It's all customized. The stash proudly plants his hands on his hips. I designed it myself and personally supervised the construction. You did? I'm a cosmological engineer, Double J, says the stash. I didn't spend those ten years away from showbiz just working on my memoirs and keeping it real, you know. But how'd you pay for it? How'd you get permission to install it here? I sweep an arm around to take in the field and seats. How'd you get booked here at all, for that matter? I made boatloads of money in Cosmo Engineering. The stash grins and nods. Big projects mean big bucks. 
I worked on everything from Starhenge to the Great Space Roller Coaster, with plenty of hyperdrive bypasses in between. He waits for me to join him. With the cash I made from my work and investments, I just bought the damn stadium and booked myself. Then I gave myself permission to install the array. I walk over to stand next to him, looking up at the sprawling grid in the sky. So, what's it for? Streaming a pay-per-view special to the cosmos? Beaming a feed to distant primitive cultures so they'll come up to worship you as a god? It's something bigger and better than you can imagine. He puts his arm around me again. Looking down, I slide him a frown. Seems like a lot of trouble to go to. What's the punchline? Wait and see, says the stash. Come on, tell me. He shakes his head. A punchline ain't worth much without the element of surprise, is it? I pop an elbow in his side. What if full disclosure is a condition of my being on the bill? Then I guess you'll miss out on being a headliner at an event of the millennium. Why the bleep is he still grinning? No skin off my chin, Gunga Din. This is the part where I'm supposed to sigh and give in. Because, damn it, that's exactly what I do. My curiosity couldn't be more piqued. My gut instinct is kicking the crap out of all my intuitions, taking their lunch money, and spending it on magic beans. And yes, Mom, my heart might have something to do with it, too. All right, I tell him. Good thing I happen to have the day off. That evening, Hypercube Center is filled to capacity and then some. Every seat in the stands is occupied, and every square inch of standing room on the field is packed. Even the sky is swimming with wall-to-wall spectators, everyone who can spout wings or rotas or jets or anti-gravity nards is drifting overhead, angling for the best view in the house. The only open space within that immensity is the stage itself. As the stash promised, it's a bare-bones affair. Just a plain black square with a mic stand in the middle and a pitcher of ice water with two glasses on a skinny pedestal table nearby. Old school all the way. Which begs the question, what's the stash cooking up? And the corollary, what is he smoking? Without the ingredients of modern comedy, samurai swords, knives, guns, cannons, elaborate Rube Goldberg suicide machines, how the fun does he propose to get any laughs? Just go with it, he tells me when I ask him that very question. Trust old Babalooni here. He won't let you down. I don't believe him for a second. But I feel better when he folds me in his arms for a pre-show hug. Even better when he stands on tiptoe to give me a long, loving kiss. Am I really that chickified that a little mush can drown out the voices of reason in my head? Mm, Yes, apparently. The voices of reason are screaming for me to make like a banana and get the flock out of Dodge. But the next thing I know, I'm standing at the mic on stage, introducing... The stash.
Yay me! I get a standing O all my own just for being there. It takes a while for the applause to die down enough for me to be heard. At which point I put everything I have into singing the stash's praises. I really pour it on, telling the crowd what a great comedian and unique talent he is, what an influence he's had on my career and those of so many others. I tell them how lucky they are that he's returned to the stage, what a privilege it is to be there to introduce him to the universe again. I tell them how great he is in bed and how I'm probably mostly doing this because we're romantically involved, so don't blame me if he sucks, bites, and blows. I skipped that last part, but the mind readers out there might have caught a whiff. Then I start applauding. Ladies, gentlemen's, invertebrates, intangibles, incomprehensibles, unmentionables, and all other art forms, life forms, and color forms, I present to you the once and future comedy genius known far and wide and in between as the stash. The crowd roars with deafening cheers and applause. I've done a great job warming them up. Now it's up to him to close the deal. The stash bursts out from behind an apathy curtain that kept him invisible until now, waving and grinning at the crowd like a beauty pageant contestant. He marches up and takes my place at the mic. Then he winks at me and gestures at the mark on the floor, a glowing red X ten feet behind the mic where he wants me to wait. As I take my position and the crowd settles down, he starts talking. What is comedy? That's how he starts. It's what makes you laugh. And that changes through time as humanity changes. The stash spreads his arms wide to encompass the crowd around him, the millions of people who are listening in dumbstruck silence. He sounds more eloquent than usual, as if he's channeling his inner Einstein instead of his typical Weisenheimer. Humans have evolved to a level where technology enables them to do so many things, things that would have been considered magic to their ancestors thousands, even hundreds of years ago. And these human beings of today, so changed now from what they once were, have a very different definition of comedy. Since almost anything is possible to them, even commonplace, and every bizarre situation that might once have been the basis of a joke is now the basis of reality, they no longer laugh at what they once did. At that moment, the crowd shifts. I can see and feel and hear it from the stage. The people in the stands and on the field and in the air have waded through what's amounted to a lecture so far, and they've passed the tipping point. It's just a matter of time until they turn ugly. The question is, does the stash know it's coming? And does he have something planned to head it off? If he does, he gives no sign of it. 
So what does it take to make humans laugh in this modern day and age? He counts out the answers on the fingers of his right hand. Cruelty. Shock. Atrocity. This is what the sense of humor has become. Laughing at someone mutilating or killing themselves. He shoots a glance in my direction. Suddenly a loud male heckler shouts from the audience, What the Fermi are you talking about, they? The stash ignores the heckler and keeps talking. But here's the irony, the ultimate irony, that none of them can see. In the course of their evolution to a less funny species, humans have stumbled upon the biggest joke of all time. Again, the heckler calls out from the crowd, What's with the them and the they? A second heckler joins in, We're human and we're right in front of you. The stash ignores him. It goes like this. It took billions of years for the universe to evolve, for the planet Earth to evolve in such a way that the conditions were optimal for sentient life to develop. And for that sentient life, humanity, to evolve to its current highly advanced state. It has taken that long for human beings to reach a level of technological advancement that makes them masters of their own bodies and the minds and the physical laws of the universe itself. Have they used this mastery to transcend their limitations and set out in search of greater knowledge? to probe the hidden mysteries of existence itself. Another heckler interrupts. Why does he keep calling us they? What has humanity done? Continues the stash. They've used their mastery to turn themselves into a trillion variations on the same self-referential silliness. The same images of clowns and celebrities and fictional characters they've been recycling for the past ten millennia. They've got the power to become gods, and they're still pissing around in the same damn kiddie pool, laughing at the suffering of their fellow men and women. In this way, humanity itself has become the greatest joke in the history of the universe, the kind of joke that my audience will appreciate. By now, the crowd is restless to the point of open rebellion. I smell danger in the air like smoke from a fire. There's a murmur through the crowd, an insurrection of thousands of disaffected voices. But the shout of the first heckler still manages to punch through above them all. For the last time, why do you keep calling us they? We are humanity. We are your audience. A dark smile curls its way across the stash's face. What the F gave you that idea? The murmur of the crowd drops away as all ears lock onto his next words. I'm not talking to you, people. The stash points upward. I'm talking to them. The airborne? asks the heckler. The flying room only people? Not even close. 
The stash raises his arms overhead and spreads them wide. I should have said, I'm talking to it. The universe. Just then, I remember the communications array he installed above the stadium, the one that's beaming to the fringes of the known freaking universe and every possible signal and frequency. I figured it would be streaming his show to people on distant worlds and vessels, but maybe I was thinking too small. That's who this whole show was meant for, says the stash. You people are just here to prove my point. You're a full shazbot, shouts the heckler. The universe isn't sentient. Sure it is, says the stash. And I just told it the funniest joke it's ever heard. Suddenly, a deafening blast of thunder crashes through the stadium, and everyone falls silent. The airborne audience scatters like cockroaches from a kitchen light, and everyone in the stands and on the ground looks up. Hear that? The stash hikes a thumb towards the sky. I'd say somebody's getting the joke. There's another blast of thunder, and another each progressively louder than the one before, the stars in the sky dance and swirl like gold dust in a prospectus pan, flashing in unnatural rhythms. Down below, the ground rumbles and shakes that sets the earthbound crowd in motion as everyone stampedes towards the exits. Millions of screams rise together, exploding through the miles-long, miles-wide stadium in a tsunami of cascading terror. Not that the stash looks the slightest bit worried. His face is calm as he turns and gestures for me to join him. I wonder if I ought to be fleeing for the exits instead. But I run to his side anyway. What's happening? What is this? The ground shakes harder than ever, and the thunderous blasts keep coming. Every light in the stadium blows out at the same time, showering the crowd with sizzling shards of glass. The stash wraps his arms around me. I'm killing. That's what. He grins up at the reeling stars in the sky. They freaking love me. The booming thunder becomes a continuous roar. The stars spin faster and faster, and the ground splits apart. Thousands of fleeing audience members tumble into widening crevices. The stash tightens his grip on me. Don't worry, Double J. He has to shout for me to hear him over the cacophony. You and I have nothing to worry about. We'll be fine. A powerful wind rushes past us, a hurricane wind, only it's not trying to blow us away. It's sucking everything upward, pulling people and pieces of stadium into the sky with inexorable, furious force. How can you say that? My voice is a terrified shriek. How can you say that? My voice my voice is a terrified shriek. Because, says the stash, I haven't done an encore yet. Just as he says it, the wind hauls us off our feet. 
We both go tumbling towards the stars, still locked in our embrace, as if that will save us somehow. At some point after we leave the ground, I lose consciousness, which is probably a blessing given the circumstances. Then I waken in the stash's arms, his eyes locked on mine, and his smile is gentle. Hey there, sleepyhead. He kisses me softly on the cheek. Rise and shine. As awareness returns more fully, I realize our surroundings are calm. There seems to be no trace of the apocalyptic mayhem that engulfed Texaractus Prime. Wait. I push away from him and look around. It's only then that I see where we are, in a transparent bubble, floating through uninterrupted white space. What is this? My voice quivers when I say it. The stash runs his hand along the surface of the bubble, which flexes and stretches under his fingertips. Nothing. Yet. I feel panic twisting inside me, straining to burst free. What are you talking about? What just happened? I'm pretty sure the universe just laughed, says the stash. What do you mean, it laughed? What do you think all the noise and shaky-shaky were about? The stash's eyes glitter as he grins. Things still aren't making sense to me. The white space, the bubble, our lives, which somehow still exist. But where is everything? Out there somewhere. He waves dismissively at the milky void. Compressed into a super-dense, super-heated ball of energy. The seed of a new universe, in other words. Wait, what? Am I losing my mind here, or did he just tell me the universe ended? He waggles his hand and squints. More like reset. It suddenly contracted. He slams his hands together. Now there's a pause, like a breath, and soon he makes a swooshing sound. He makes a whooshing sound as he pulls his hands apart. It'll reboot. Like a big bang, you mean? He touches the tip of his nose. Exactamundo. There'll be a shiny new universe in place of the old one. Happens once every 14 billion years or so. And what about us? When I press my hand against the bubble, it feels like a warm rubber balloon. Why didn't we get mashed up with the rest of the old universe? Funny you should ask. The stash takes my hand. It's been talking to me. The universe. Yep. Apparently, it likes my work so much, it wants me to help set up the next version of itself. I mean, the next joke. My head is spinning. I think he's lost his mind if we weren't floating in a transparent bubble through some kind of white void after witnessing a cosmic apocalypse. Uh, so that's it, then? A hysterical giggle escapes my lips. Our universe? The one we knew? Our home? It's just gone? Gone forever, 
The stash nods. Again, a crazy giggle escapes me. Forever? Everything we know is gone? Forever? Yep. Wouldn't you know it? The stash laughs and shakes his head. Now I'm hungry for Chinese all of a sudden. I think about it. Chewing a fingernail. More giggles slip out. What is it? asks the stash. What's so funny? I laugh a little harder now. All those times I killed myself for comedy, and now here I am, a last survivor, while everyone else is dead. The stash nods. It's ironic, all right. I keep laughing. And you know what really cracks me up? I can't figure out whether the joke's on them, the people who are gone, or on me. Then everything's as it should be, Double J. Remember the Groucho Marx effect from physics. A universe simple enough to be understood is too simple to produce a mind capable of understanding it. Or, as Groucho himself put it, and the stash flicks an invisible cigar and waggles his eyebrows. I wouldn't want to belong to any club that would have me as a member. There you go, copyright Robert Jesnick. Oh, 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 man. Robert, thank you so much. And Karen, like I say, you just nailed that. Brilliant. Thank you so much indeed. Honestly, it's an honour. An honour to have that story and Karen's narrations on the show. Man, proud as punch. Thank you so much. Honestly, both of you, they are going on and on and on. But Robert has just turned into one of my kind of favourite writers out there and Karen's just kind of... T- Took that and took it to another level. Both of you, thank you so much indeed. So, now, as you know, it is our... And she's, oh, she's all... Well, no, she's not all over the place now, but as you know, Amy's kind of moved all over, right, right across quite a big bit of America and is now getting settled down and is now coming back on top and just, it's amazing just to keep on getting Ames's narrations, not narrations, but the work, the looking back. And there's, someone's kind of big in the field has just passed over as well. So you'll, Aim's going to tell you all about that as well. It always just gets you there when one of the kind of the icons or one of the big kind of hitters in, in the day as well, or someone even connected in that industry, it goes. It's just such a shame. Ames! Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for another Looking Back at Genre History. I just sat down to record, and as I did, I received an email, and as it turns out, sadly, Karen Anderson has died. She died on March 17th. She was born in 1932, and is perhaps best known as the wife and collaborator of Paul Anderson. She worked on a number of his works with him, including books like The King of Wives and The Last Viking, although she also published some stories of her own. She also left a lasting imprint on fandom and fan participation. How? Well, for one, she was an active costumer involved in cosplay, and in fact, she also was one of the co-founders of the Society for Creative Anachronism. On the off chance you're not familiar with the SCA, that is an international living history group 
whose aim is to study and recreate mainly medieval European cultures and their histories before the 17th century. I know of many SCA members whose interests also intersect with science fiction and fantasy. And in fact, it's rare to go to an SF con and not see the SCA, at least in my experience. And you know what else is a fixture in a lot of science fiction cons? Filk music, concerts, or spontaneous music circles in which music is sung that relates to the genre, right? It can be parody, it can be bardic, it can be all kinds of music, but the music is related to, in some ways, science fiction, fantasy, horror. That's been around since the 1950s, and it got its name from a typo. Lee Jacobs wrote an essay called The Influence of Science Fiction on Modern American Folk Music, but he misspelled folk. He typed out filk instead. Now, this fanish essay was a little bit bawdy. There was some adult content, originally meant for the Spectator Amateur Press Society, but the then-editor didn't publish it because he was afraid that it could actually get them in trouble. This was the era of the Comstock laws about obscenity in the U.S. mail. But the editor found the typo really funny, and so he kept mentioning it. And so, long before the internet, it became a kind of fandom meme to say filk music. Do you know who published the term filk music intentionally for the very first time? Karen Anderson. In the Journal for Utter Nonsense number 774, published in June 1953. And so, as a writer a collaborator, a fan, a costumer, and the first person to use filk music in print. Well, we will remember Karen Anderson. And now I'd like to talk about another loss that our community has sustained. Posted on Facebook by Richard Wilhelm was the following note, quote, We are saddened to announce the passing of Kate Wilhelm on March 8th, 2018, in Eugene, Oregon, following a brief illness. Her warmth, humor, and immense talent will be deeply missed. Her life as a loving mother, prolific author, friend, and generous mentor will be cherished by many. We're proud to continue her legacy, publishing her backlist and recent work through infinityboxpress.com. So now let's take a moment to talk about the legacy of Kate Wilhelm. Kate Wilhelm was born in 1928 in Toledo, Ohio, in the United States. Her first published work was The Pint-Sized Genie. That short story was published in Fantastic in October 1956. Her first novel was The Mile-Long Spaceship, which was published in 1963. As the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction says, Quote, it was not until the late 1960s that she began to release the atmospheric, character, and landscape-driven mature stories which seem likely to remain her finest work, End quote. Wilhelm was always happiest with the novella-length story, not the most commercially successful version of science fiction out there, but it makes sense when you think that her most celebrated work, 
the novel Where Late the Sweetbird Sang, which won the Hugo Award and the Jupiter Award, first published in 1976, is actually a connected series of novellas. It's also considered to be one of the great uh, environmentalist SF pioneering works. This is a work that I teach in class, and I think it's quite powerful. It also impresses students because it is every bit as relevant today as it was when it was published in 76. The novel follows an extended family as they retreat from society to survive what's essentially a global meltdown, economic, environmental, topped off by a nuclear holocaust. It's led by far-sighted leaders and gifted scientists as they seek to preserve their family line through what ends up being an extended experiment in cloning. The result is more village of the damned than paradise. You end up with this new breed of people. They're intelligent but unimaginative, forming brother and sister groups that share a common mind and a common experience. And they, depending on how you look at it, inherit or take over this community. And the story follows several generations, ending with the struggle of the lone individual against the dystopian community, with the stakes being not only survival for the individual, but survival for the very nature of the human species. She married influential writer and editor Damon Knight in 1963, and they remained married until his death in 2002. Damon Knight was, among many other things, the editor of a very well-received series of original anthologies called Orbit, and Orbit published many of Kate Wilhelm's stories. Uh, Those have been assembled, uh, Kate Wilhelm in Orbit, as a 2015 ebook. That's a good place to start if you want to begin with her shorter works as opposed to novels. All told, she published more than 40 novels, including crime and mystery novels, some of which had a strong speculative fiction ingredient. But it was in teaching, in mentoring, in fostering the conversation of science fiction and encouraging and supporting young writers that Wilhelm really left her mark. She was long influential with her husband in the Milford Science Fiction Writers Conference, and the offshoot of that, which she was involved with from the very beginning, is the long-running Clarion Science Fiction Writers Workshop. She would go on to edit one of the anthologies of stories from Clarion called Clarion SF, and later write the nonfiction Storyteller, Writing Lessons and More from 27 Years of the Clarion Writers' Workshop in 2005, which won her another Hugo. When you think about the authors we read today, we listen to on Starship Sofa and other podcasts, well, you can't (laughs) begin to measure the importance of the Clarion experience. And in particular, Kate Wilhelm's imprint on that. I'd like to quote here from Kate Wilhelm and Appreciation by Scott Bradfield, which was published on March 13, 2018, in the LA Times. Quote, Wilhelm never quite fit into any of the genres she chose to briefly occupy. Science fiction, crime, mystery, domestic realism— 
but despite her relative obscurity in the world of, quote, serious literature, she was an intensely present woman in the lives of other writers, and she seemed happiest when other writers were around. With her husband, she helped organize some of the first Milford workshops, an annual meeting of young and established writers that notably included the likes of Thomas M. Dish, Avram Davidson, Kurt Vonnegut Jr., Theodore Sturgeon, Judith Merrill, and even a young Gustav Hosford, author of The Short Timers, a.k.a. Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. And when the Milford workshops eventually developed into the Clarion workshops for young writers of fantasy and science fiction, Wilhelm and Knight were among the first and most valued instructors, teaching there every year from 1969 through the late 1990s. Over many decades, she taught and inspired more soon-to-be major writers than could be recorded in a drawer full of class registers, including... Robert Crace, George Alec Effinger, Octavia Butler, Kim Stanley Robinson, Corey Doctorow, Jeff Vandermeer, Ted Chang, Lucia Shepard, Nicola Griffith. The list could easily fill any one tribute and spill over into another. Good writers were constantly emerging from Wilhelm's immediate vicinity. It was just the way she rolled. End quote. What a tribute! Wilhelm was inducted into the Science Fiction Hall of Fame in 2003. In 2009, she won a Solstice Award for her impact on speculative fiction across her career. And in 2016, the Solstice Award was renamed the Kate Wilhelm Solstice Award in her honor. And so I encourage you to read or reread some Kate Wilhelm. And also remember that many of the authors we are reading and listening to today were influenced and encouraged by her mentorship. I look forward to joining you again very soon for another look back into genre history. Thank you. Oh, man, you couldn't just squeeze them. It's like a, like a little, well, actually, yeah, it'd be like a little sister to us. You know, you just like look after and yeah, you just, oh, <laughs> Don't touch Amy. That's what I'll be like. I'll be like the older brother. Like, you never have a date. No, no. Amy, you would never. Oh, get off her. Get off her and get away, lad. <laughs> That's what I'll be like. Hey, get away, sunshine. <laughs> She's our sister. No, off. <laughs> Mine's a good job. I wasn't your brother. able to fight like cat and dog. <laughs> you see, I would appear in the arse I am to live with. Oh. So that is... Starship Sofa Show today. What number was it? I've forgotten there. 529. Uh, just proud as I would have Robert Jesnek on and Amy and Karen Bovine as well. Thank you so much. Don't forget, keep on popping them, you know, this March towards 500 supporters on Patreon will be just fantastic. You know, within the year, we're trying to do that. And as a little kind of end, anybody keep bees? I'm really interested. <laughs> Maybe starting to keep some bees. There we go. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.
fast I'm moving slow So I'm waiting on your call at home with nowhere to go Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio I want to talk to you I want to talk to you Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.